Due to technical difficulties, the Light Shed podcast will be delayed by 30 minutes. Just kidding. We don't use the CBS streaming software. Welcome, everybody, to episode 45 of the Light Shed podcast. I'm Brandon Ross, along with Richard Greenfield and Walter Pysik. And we're, we're trucking on, guys. It has been a hell of a week. I think we had five analyst days this week. We had a deal announcement, several earnings. I, um, I'm very tired, so excuse my, um, uh, my future performance in this episode. It was you know a beast what? of a week. It really was a beast. Uh, do, you even, I mean, do you even name all the analyst days that we did? Uh, just massive. I mean, first of all, companies that have never done analyst days. And it's just it was a lot, a, a lot to just focus for that many hours. And especially it's one thing when you're in person and like sort of you're hanging out with people, but doing it all and just staring at a Zoom screen at kind of pre-recorded sessions for hours on end uh, was brutal, really brutal. But we did break new ground this week. It, we did our first clubhouse, not Twitter spaces, clubhouse edition of Light Shed Live. And we had a special guest on our first clubhouse, Brandon. <laughs> Who is that? Lois strikes again. I mean, every week, Lois figures out a way to get onto our podcast. I mean, Lois your mom's like a mother for those that are just joining us for the first week on the podcast. <laughs> I mean, she's like a celebrity is- now. This is, and um, unfortunately, we should actually have like no. We should have a little tagline: guest starring on our podcast. Now, the crazy thing about that is, unfortunately, Lois had back surgery on Tuesday, and she stayed up on Monday night to listen to us talk about the creator economy. At the end of which, she said, "You guys did a great job, but I had no idea what you were talking about." Was she was she on early when <laughs> was she on at the very start of our of our broadcast when when Joe Galone tried to pull me into his own room for some reason because <laughs> I logged on the clubhouse and all of a sudden Joe Galone would like to start a room with you. Well, I, think, it, it, I think he wanted I, I, to have a pep talk since it since it was our first Light Shed Live. He needed to right. get he needed to get you psyched up. I do think that it's one of the hardest things about Clubhouse is that you see these pop ups and you sometimes accidentally click on things and you don't realize what you're doing. And it immediately pops you into someone else's room or you just there's definitely a lot of kind of what I would call Clubhouse, you know, accidents that that happened to this is the most awkward thing that did happen to me this week. And it was like, are you free to welcome? And then the person who came on was an ex-girlfriend from like eight years ago. And then I was awkwardly in a room with just (laughs) me and her. And I looked at my screen and I was just like, fuck. And I dodged out. Then I checked to see if she followed me like. Uh, so no, is it is this she did not so it was just the an other problem is moment it, for all. it pulls you into a room and then everyone sees what room you're in so you're accidentally in some like room about like i know you know there's some weird ass fucking topics on that thing i know and, and i would want to be in some of those rooms but i'm afraid everyone's going to see me in them so oh, i don't really? know like which them? ones like which well, ones now now i'm really <laughs> curious what? is it is this cannabis rooms, Brandon, for fish concerts? <laughs> you always say you have to bring fish into every episode. No, not cannabis room. There's just, you know, interesting things that 
like for instance like if like someone from like bravo is on like talking about their show i'm just like curious to pop in and i'm like nah man that would not go with my image i don't Not know what my image is every one of those rooms I, 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 was in one, I was in one last night where like i don't know it was it was these random i don't even know if they're vcs but they're like pitching their ideas and the and the whoever was leading the room was being a complete asshole to this <laughs> poor woman that was like pitching right and like ledger's in there and he ledger was being perfectly nice but i'm like what are you, what are you doing in all these random rooms? He likes to go in in the, like the dating rooms also. Uh, but speaking, <laughs> well, like, he is, is a single, single and very wealthy bachelor. Oh, he is so. single. He yeah. is single. Yes, oh, he's okay. divorced and he's a single, very eligible bachelor. Like so. Well, he's a but, good candidate for the million dollar millionaire matchmaker. He could be on like the billionaire matchmaker. But but Walt, I just wanted to follow up on live audio because you you know on the podcast you were sort of complaining about what takes Twitter so long to add room names and to make it so it wasn't like plus you know 200 or plus a thousand people it looks like Kayvon's listening to you because now you can actually name your room we were in a jim kramer room last night and you could actually name it and you could literally scroll through thousands of people now in the room it's still well, not perfect not well that's not actually true rich because Kayvon also tweeted that oh if you updated your twitter um app then you would be able to see everyone in the room and i my app was 100 updated and i was in that room last night and i pressed that plus 2700 and it didn't expand so huh not working and, and honestly like the other thing is like when you were in there and Kramer, it was actually a very good room and i think showed the power of spaces already 2700 um simultaneous users um, power of the format right but but like you know like when kramer was trying to elevate you and other people there like you could tell that that there's some user interface issues that they need that they need to work out. Even on the audio, yes. they had someone yes. from Twitter. Um, I forget what the woman's role was, um, but when when she couldn't hear some something, she basically just kind of oh, don't worry, you know, I'll, I'll pick up what the question was. So there's like some audio issues, there's some technical issues, but look, it's early. And I, it, sure exactly, it's early. They're actually, I mean, I'll give kudos to Twitter. I've never seen them actually move this fast on something. So hand clap and I right think that it's not like clubhouse is a year old right like it's clubhouse is pretty new too so like it's getting towards a year i think it was like last april that that it started but in before it like gained enough momentum to be noticeable that didn't really happen until like fall so they they actually moved pretty quickly and that was a theme of the twitter analyst day they kind of rebuilt the tech stack um all around jack talked about moving quicker on both um product and on monetization and ad formats and um how was jack so, was he was he up on screen he was he pretty looked, polished he looked pretty clean cut yesterday i mean he looked like a hobbit okay picture of that for the for this video but can we go on. to the first slide can we start i mean i know that you love okay, bantering but let's Frodo. Yeah, let's go. Um, so first slide, Brandon. Um, yeah, so we finally have a direct listing date for Roblox, which we've been talking about uh, quite a bit on this podcast. Exciting, um, not IPO, but direct listing, just because of the massive engagement on the platform. We've talked about it before. 30 
2.6 million DAU, kind of the hangout for tweens during COVID, average tweens spending 2.6 hours on the platform and just growing really fucking fast. I think hours grew 124% year over year last year. And they're going to give their first kind of analyst day ahead of the IPO today. I think it's going to be streamed on YouTube and it'll be interesting to see what they said, but this is the first chance for investors really to get a chance to invest in something that has quote metaverse um, type properties. And but, but, but I'm probably I'm, not going to go for a long time. So I think it's I, going to be a popular one. But what, what excites me about this is it, it sort of has that, where that feeling of like those early days of YouTube, right? Where like people are just creating all types of stuff. And yes, there's certainly a, a you and know, that's a top been happening um, for a long time. Don't forget Roblox has been around for what, 13 years or something. Yeah. It just, it just happened to hit a tipping point and start accelerating like massively accelerating three years ago. I guess the, the market was finally ready for it and a creation on the platform got easy and it's a two-sided marketplace. So um, you, you get strong network effects and that's that. Walt, you've been waiting for this for years now, it feels yeah. like. So or go step ahead. One. They, they screwed over step one. They screwed up my prediction from last year to get, <laughs> they get this done waiting for step two. First, let's just talk about this tweet. <clears throat> Cause yeah. this is, um, this is Alex Sherman in this case. Well, first of all, let's start with Peter Kafka. Love Peter Kafka's, Kafka's writing. Um, his podcasts are awesome. But he tweets, AT&T paid $67 billion for DirecTV in 2015. Now it's worth $16 billion. This was a dunk that we saw over and over. Well, I'm generally factually correct, except not really, because what they bought was the Latin American business that is degraded in value and, and some other things. Um, but Sherman wanted to one-up the dunk on at t saying it's actually worth less than 16 billion because this new business accounts for AT&T U-verse and AT&T TV also. So I, I just want to go back to my note from um, October 8th of 2020. Quote, the media will gleefully compare the paltry sale price to AT&T's purchase price by DirecTV back in 2015, but fail to note the purchase also include the LATAM, blah, blah, blah. And I just went on to kind of detail what's going on in, in Latin America. Um, what, what's interesting, forget about all these numbers. What's, what's interesting about this to me is they have this guy, Amaro, come in. They actually, in the press release, didn't point out that he did work at Clearwire uh, for two years. Um, why is that important? It's just interesting that why would you leave a two-year you know thing in the telecom business out of his out of his resume? It's just odd. I mean, I, you know, Clearwire was going through some difficult times there, but like you can't blame him for that. But you know, he's been kind of one of these guys has been in, in a, a number of different um, telecom jobs. He's the decider. Like if you if you look at the corporate structure of this, where TPG has got board seats and AT&T has board seats, it's one guy that is the decider on. Right. It's two. It's two V2. And he's this. He's the tiebreaker. Right. I mean, that's the way to think about this. He's the decider. Bill Morrow is the decider on what happens with DirecTV. Now, obviously, the next step is clear. Right. Doing something with Dish. And that's going to benefit TPG and and, and Stanky didn't di when Stanky was sort of pushed on that last night. He didn't walk away from it. He basically said like, "There's a step process to this," and like <laughs> they, they embraced okay. it. They said, "Look, everyone." Well, it was more more John Stevens, the CFO, was fielding those questions. He was like embracing it. Look, we set it up to have an incentive that whatever the next step is, that we're both going to benefit. So they're because they, 
the question is obvious. Like, why the fuck didn't you just deal with Charlie from the get-go and take 100%? There's obviously issues in terms of the structure and everything else. Um, but but I think the point T was trying to make is that that deal is happening and we will get 70% of the benefits of any synergies um, from the from a merger of DirecTV and, and Dish's business. But what media investors need to focus on, and I think looking at the way stocks are reacting to the news, it sort of shocks me that they're not reacting because this is a really, really big deal. Because first, in the first case, now private equity, and again, I don't know Clearwire's, you know, the bill's view of, of how he thinks about programming expense, but the fact that TPG is in there now, I have to believe they're going to be focused on one thing, driving free cash flow out of this entity, not about kind of making nice with legacy programming partners, whether it be cable networks or, or retrans, but- You're well, missing something, Rich. Yeah. Traditional media does not- trade anymore on fundamentals right it's, now it's revenue multiples it's, it's, it's revenue a, multiples it's a, it's a sub story right, right 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 so to hell with it well okay but, but let's just step back for one second because if step two of this is sometime before the end of next year let's just say or the sorry if if by the end of this year early 2022 there is a deal on the tape that charlie ergen is taking control of this you know, new entity and dish is going to be much larger Good luck for programmers in terms of those negotiations with because that would make Dish the largest. The combined entity would be the largest programming entity in the in the U.S. But but that's my point in that Bill Morrow is the decider. So you're basically saying he wants to run this thing. So I think that that could be like a pressure point and maybe a little silver lining hmm. um, on your thesis, meaning that if Charlie isn't the guy controlling it, then like is Bill Morrow the kind of you know, sharp elbow type of guy to do this. I don't necessarily see that in his um, in his kind of corporate culture. So I think it's actually a marginal positive with regard to that thesis that you have in terms of the impact. Um, on Meaning it could. So you're saying it could slow a transaction just because Bill wants to show that he can turn this around or at least harvest cash and prove the value. Or if there is a transaction, obviously he's got better negotiating ability. But we right. all believe that Charlie is is would have done would do, and his people would do a much better job at punching those programmers in the face compared to I think the the approach that Bill Morrow would take. Like certainly it's look, it's clearly a negative, right? It's just a matter of the degree because you look right. at uh, Ergen's margins relative to the size of his business, they clearly do a better job with programmers, and they're willing to to be more aggressive. Bill Morrow is not that guy. And he is, again, not to be redundant here, but I don't know. This is this is great. I think this is great content. And I think that's something people nobody knows who Bill Morrow is. Yeah, I've never heard the name. I've never heard the name. So I know him from Clearwire. When you said said Bill Morrow, I thought of Brandon Morrow, (laughs) who was the closer of of the Seattle Mariners. So I guess it's all in Seattle. But <laughs> I, I didn't know who but, Bill Morrow dude, was. That that is the important. That is not the only important point to me. That's the interesting part of this is that everyone just assumes, oh, Bill Mars can do it. AT and T or TV. No, no, he is. <laughs> he is the guy. He is the decider. He that, that will that will impact a- all of these implications. That a- you're any talking. any insight? Why him? Um, like, is there any inside baseball of like why you would choose this guy to do? I mean, he has no background in running this asset. I mean, he, he was working with AT&T in terms of their cost-cutting process. So there's probably a personal relationship there with um, with Stanky. He's been in the telecom business for a year. Obviously, AT&T is a, you know, a telecom company at yeah. its heart, no matter you know how much they want to talk about growing up in LA and being a media guy. I mean, it's still a telecom company. So um, okay. I don't know, Rich. Why do any decisions get made uh, <laughs> on, I don't know. on the corporate level? 
So, you know, speaking of AT&T, they were pretty clear. Uh, they've, you know, Stanky's been abundantly clear that they're getting out of the Sunday ticket business. There's obviously a lot of speculation about what's happening with the new NFL rights, you know, chatter that it wants to get wrapped up over the course of the next few weeks. But let me just read this tweet that came out from Sports Business Journal earlier this week um, from our friend John Orand. Um, the gap between the initial offers from Disney and the NFL is around one billion per year. Virtually every source still believes the two sides will cut a deal, keeping Monday Night Football and ESPN and joining the Super Bowl rotation. I think what's interesting here is that, you know, Disney was paying or, you know, ESPN was effectively paying a billion nine a year for 17 games. And we always assumed that they would see the least amount of increase relative to the Sunday. So we were thinking Sunday, all three packages between 900 and a billion one, we're all going up north of two billion. So 100 plus percent increases. NBC bearing the largest increase because they had the lowest price point. And we always assume that, you know, ESPN, two billion would go to, I don't know, two and a half at worst, three billion, uh, you know, in terms of average contract well, value. Everything was out of whack in terms of what the true value was. And but... Monday Night Football was the most out of whack. Well, I see. I would disagree with that because I would go. That's why ESPN gets $10 per sub per month and has a massive business. And so well, it's, it's it's one of the reasons there's a lot of reasons for that. But yeah. That's the strong arm that they use. I, you know, so, but the, but the question is, we always assume that they would see lesser increases than everybody else. The fact that the NFL starting point was the same increase, if that's really true, meaning a hundred percent increase, one nine going to three eight, uh, that is just like, you know, that's a huge number. And you just have to think, like, I have two thoughts on the one side. Well, uh, here's the, here's the thing that for, for all of us to think about, let's just say, in, in there's a case where ESPN actually walks away that they go, you know what? The math doesn't work. We can't do this. I don't know who buys Monday Night Football. That's, like, it, that's, that's exactly what I was going to say. I think that Bob Chapik, that is, realizes that he has all the leverage here. There's no chance that anyone else is paying that type um, of money for Monday night, even if it comes with two games, which is which seems to be the uh okay the assumption so here. so i agree with that brandon but let's take the other side roger goodell brian Rolap, these are really smart people they know they're negotiating leverage clearly somebody else is in their bidding or has an interest in bidding for the offer the initial starting point to be a double in price and so i don't know what we don't know but i'm just sort of fascinated like i doubt it's apple i doubt it's you know facebook you know, could it be Google or, you know, or Amazon? I guess anything is possible. We're thinking Amazon for Thursday night. But like, look, I, I can't fathom three and a half billion plus from Amazon for Monday Night Football. But I'm just sort of the fact that these articles are coming out. You know, there was a, there was some speculation that ESPN Pitaro skipped the Super Bowl or a Super Bowl weekend. And so sort of there's there's this there's kind of blood. Or even just that there are things have gone very cold between the two organizations. And it just has me thinking like the NFL is not dumb. Like maybe there is somebody else that we're just not really thinking about now. It's, it's hard to imagine, but I'm just, I, I don't know. Like Something doesn't. Yeah. Is, Sk is Skipper coming back to harm? Oh, because I, I, I mean, there's, I mean, think about it. I mean, it's, it's possible, but unlikely just from a, um, a PL perspective. Does is Fox playing for Monday night? 
But well, let, let's look at one other possibility. Let's just say this is all negotiating and Oran's right and they get to a deal. If the NFL is at three eight and Disney is at two eight, you know, or somewhere less than that, let's just say, I think there was even two four was, was, was someone originally speculated. If the deal comes out at $3 billion in the middle, essentially, that would be a huge win for the NFL. Like if that number is really up 50%, on an already massive number, that would be a pretty big deal for the be, NFL. But I think Chapik knows <laughs> what the, um, or has an idea of what the demand is out there and he wouldn't be playing hardball otherwise. I don't know, but this is going to be an important one to watch. Cause I just feel like, you know, and Hey, it, maybe he, maybe he's actually willing to walk from it, figuring that, you know, for, OTT in the future for ESPN plus as they transition to it, maybe it makes more sense just to have a lot of breadth of sports content and like, fuck it on the one NFL game. Think about how much it would save you. If you really want to go fully over the top for ESPN, this would save you you a lot of cost. You could do a lot with that. I mean, the entire NHL is, is what like going to be three, 400 million a year. Uh, Look, so I don't think it's crazy to think the NFL walks, but I'm sorry to, to think ESPN walks. I just I'm struggling with who's the buyer instead. And that I just don't know. Sticking on the topic of sticking on the NFL topic, um, there was big news out of Paramount Plus. So not only did Paramount Plus unveil itself, but there was a, a pretty big um, piece of this that I don't think has gotten enough attention, which is that the base tier of Paramount Plus is going from $5.99 for CBS All Access down in June to $4.99. It is keeping the NFL programming, but kicking out linear TV. So this is sort of brilliant for Viacom CBS is that they're going to keep the NFL games, which is probably the, the most important thing on linear TV by a wide mile, but remove linear TV so they don't have to pay the affiliate. Removing the affiliate, they can drop the price down. Now, this is obviously really good for Viacom. Doesn't sound very good for the affiliate. So think Sinclair's, Tegna's, Nexstar's, and... You know, it, it'll be really interesting. Unfortunately, all of these. Do they have are, any recourse? Well, Rick, look, that, that's the thing. Uh, well, first of all, I don't CBS know. Their contracts. had to think this through. It, it's no. not like I, I doubt they did this without, you know, going through their contracts and actually planning for it. It seems to me like the affiliates are just screwed. Well, so, so, so that may be the answer. Unfortunately, the beauty of when Viacom announced this was after all the affiliates had reported earnings. So I can't listen or ask this question on a conference call right now. Obviously, conference season, there's a bunch of conferences over the next couple of weeks. It'll be interesting if this topic comes up. But if I'm an affiliate, but no one's put out statements or anything. Not not just, yet. It's just silence. Uh, you know, pretty and, interesting. It, well, and, and I would also say it is probably not a mistake that this isn't launching till June. Right. The new pricing, the, the Paramount Plus launches in March, but the new pricing is in June. My guess is the reason for that is either there's a deal or deals expiring that they need to expire or they're in the process of negotiating and those won't be done until June. But there's there. It is definitely not a mistake. It's a three month delay. I would agree. My guess is something prevents it right now. And they are in the process of making sure that they can do this starting in June. And the market was keen to it. Broadcasters got smoked yesterday. I think what Sinclair was down 11. Uh, Tegna wasn't though, so not all of them. But yeah, oh, really? you're right. Sinclair, Sinclair was Sinclair definitely down hard. Smoked, yes, um, sticking on Paramount Plus though, because the other piece of it that I thought was interesting was this tweet from Alex Sherman, where he goes, "Bit of a hard sell to say coming to Paramount Plus just 45 days after its theatrical release, 
after Warner Media cut the window to zero days for this year. And I, look, I think Alex is right. I mean, you know, the reality is who would have thought that AT&T was the most innovative, pushing the envelope the hardest on rethinking the film business? Like, I just don't think they, you know, I don't think AT&T gets enough credit for going and, and trying to basically change the entire business and point in and kind of lean into the future. I know you love that term, lean in, Walt, but like they are leaning in in a way that nobody else is. You like to Disney, lean into the mic, Rich. I mean, <laughs> even Disney isn't willing to really, you know, we'll see what they do with, with Black Widow in May, but it's just been surprising that nobody has been willing to really do this other than AT&T with WarnerMedia. Well, you know, I think Disney is kind of let, left it open. They keep talking about flexibility. We'll, we'll see stuff out of Disney as well, I believe. The other interesting thing about the windowing was the whole situation with the Epic deal, which was pretty fucked. <laughs> well, it, it actually, I mean, the good news is, is it gets Paramount access or it gets Paramount Plus access to movies to far sooner. No, 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 oh. not even that. So the oh, Epic deal, okay. deal would have prevented like a Top Gun from sh or a Quiet Place from showing up for probably years, like four, you know, it would have been pay to window, probably seven years until those movies would have been available. Now they're going to be on Paramount Plus 45 days after. So that I think is a pretty big deal for Paramount Plus that they should get credit for. It's unfortunate that the counter element or the give was extending the Epics deal. So Epics is still around <laughs> for another year, but at least they got access to you the have, movies. You have duplicative content on Epics and Paramount Plus. Honestly, I don't think that's going to matter that much. I mean, I don't think, I don't anyone think consumers really, knows what really Epics notice. Is. Exactly. I mean, unless you're like a Comcast sub because so, they give it away. So Walt was talking before about sort of Ergen's more aggressive approach to programmers. And, you know, it's funny on, on this week's conference call for Dish, Charlie basically was asked about, you know, things like Discovery Plus launching discover or launching streaming services while also having and wanting to get paid for in the bundle. And Charlie's comments were pretty brutal. I mean, he basically said, you know, the price should reflect what's actually happening in the marketplace. And, you know, as, if you're doing as he has said over and over as over the top products, e even when some of the content was going to be on Netflix, he, so he was saying that. So it led to a funny thing over the course of Tuesday morning, because on Monday, he made these comments on the conference call. And I think a lot of investors started thinking, well, who's next? Like, who's got a distribution deal up with Charlie next? It, you know, Discovery or Viacom, et cetera. And they found out that Discovery um, supposedly was out of contract with Altice and that there was a web page that was available saying that Discovery was being dropped because of the launch of Discovery Plus and that they, their things were heated between the two companies. And it led to all of this commotion with investors texting me and calling me. And the end result was within a couple of hours, Altice and Discovery actually put out a joint press release that they had reached a long-term deal. So it was a lot of smoke. Everyone keeps talking about sort of the, hey, you go over the top, I'm going to drop you uh, because you can't have your cake and eat it too. But yet, Brandon, it looks like you can have your cake and eat it too, at least for now. So far, you can. Altice uh, <laughs> is playing ball. I think it'll just be interesting. Does Charlie take a different approach over the course of 21 or do we see anybody really push back in 21? We'll see. Well, Charlie Walt, will. <laughs> C-Band? So this tweet uh, is from Sasha um, Sagan. I'm a little confused about what C-Band interim assignments are. If, if that's an actual assignment, 
AT&T gets 40 megahertz to Verizon 60 nationwide between 21 and 23. If it isn't, Verizon gets the whole 100 megahertz. So what, what he noted here is, is actually an important new information from the C-band auction that's finally over, which is that there's depth of spectrum is obviously important, right? Because that's what enables you to do 5G and fast speeds. They Everyone's talking about the need for 80 or 100 megahertz. So some of the spectrum is going to be available this year. The vast majority is going to be available by the end of 2023. So the view was if Verizon's bid is so high that they would get a lot of that early stuff. That didn't happen. They only got 60 megahertz of the early stuff. So so that, that has two big implications. One, well, AT&T got the other part. So that means AT&T is probably getting more aggressive. That's positive for towers than people anticipated. That's new information. But also that Verizon doesn't have as much spectrum early as we thought. They're going to actually have a much deeper position. So they're in a pretty good spot, three, four, maybe five years down the road relative to, to, to T-Mobile. But it, it extends that window of opportunity um, for, for T-Mobile to succeed if Verizon's only dealing with 60 megahertz. Well, I'm sure that they will have ways to explain this. We're doing a um, we're going to be doing a light shed premium access with with Ed Chan um, from Verizon to talk more about how do you do it with 60 megahertz? What's the status of your of your millimeter wave? But um, that's kind of the really interesting new stuff. Obviously, AT and T being aggressive. Two things, Rich. They spent um, basically 27 billion. That strains the balance sheet. Yeah, they they they're going to get some cash back because of um, this this sale to TPG. Um, but buying spectrum that they can use early, you don't do that unless you're planning on, you know, keeping your foot on the pedal in terms of the capital investment cycle for wireless. So, so that should make me a little bit more concerned about how fast they can ramp programming for something like HBO Max. I mean, unless there's other media sales that they can do. And I think Brandon talked a, a bit about that. But, um, you know, you've got a big check that was just paid for C-band a clear indication that they're not going to um, lay off on CapEx because, why, again, why buy the early spectrum <laughs> and, and spend 50% more than buying the later spectrum? Um, so what does that mean for, for HBO Max? And like, can you, like, how much do they need to spend? And, and are you, is your world of people, when they have this investor meeting on, on March 12th, um, what's the messaging going to be? I mean, I think that's going to be a big date in, in terms of people in your world for HBO Max and in our world in, in terms of the investment cycle um, yep. for CBAN. And also just like I think about things like Turner, like are they committed to keeping Turner or is Turner for sale just like DirecTV? I mean, like they only talk it, about- Does it wind up in someone's spec at, at some point? Uh, or, or merged in with Discovery. I mean, Discovery needs more scale. Viacom needs more scale. If I'm 18, I mean, look, we've talked or, about- why Or do they just completely neuter Turner and take all the content off of it, put it in HBO Max and try and get the sub fees, you know, the old having your cake and eat it too that we just discussed with Discovery. You ever watch the content on Turner? <laughs> Sorry, that was really mean. That um, was really mean. The NBA? Yeah. Is there Look, anything every, else everything, on Rich, everything That's has true. some value, and, it, and you have to give Stanky credit. Going baseball. back to the Directv thing, like, yep. yeah, you you knew you were going to face the the you know the dunking headlines. So, like, okay, if Turner's not worth something, but if it's worth. If it's not worth a ton, that's fine. But if it's worth something, <laughs> which enables you to kind of continue your pivot to jacking your subs on on HBO Max and keep um, keeping up um, with the Verizons and T Mobile in terms of the five G, then. Maybe that's there's more incentive to do that. 
I, I think there is absolutely every reason in the world to think about how can they make one plus one equal, even if it's 2.1, right? Like if you could combine this with something else, the cash, the savings, you know, the amount of cost cutting that a discovery could do with, you know, Turner, you're probably talking well over a billion dollars of cost savings, uh, probably a lot more than that, just given the scale of the companies. I, I, I have to believe I, that there I, is- Honestly though, Rich, I, I think about putting those two assets together, like Scripps Discovery made a ton of sense. I think you bring Turner in and I think it weakens you overall. Maybe. Honestly, unless you run it almost completely separately, the, like the content doesn't fit at all. I will say, I, you know, I, the reality is you need diverse content for SFOD. And there are very different forms of content that is on a Turner. There's a lot of library content. You think about the Adult Swim content, like it really diversifies you just yeah, the way. That's how, like who owns all that content? Turner doesn't own all that content. Not all of it, but a lot of the Cartoon Network content they do, though. I mean, there's okay. a lot on Cartoon. I, again, I, I think about True TV. You know, Discovery talks about the fact that crime and those types of shows are the ones dominating Discovery Plus. Imagine if you could yeah, add in all the True ID TV. is their biggest network. Okay, so then you add in True TV yeah, with sure. ID. Yeah, you're like right. it just... there, there's some synergy there. Okay, let's move on. No more traditional media. I think I've had it for the day. <laughs> so let's 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 move to podcasting. So Spotify had their um, first ever investor meeting. Let's listen to a comment that was made um, about going into premium subscriptions. I help podcasters take full advantage, not only through advertising, but with the power to choose the best business model for themselves. In the next few months, we will be kicking off a limited beta in the U.S. via Anchor giving creators the opportunity to publish paid podcast content on Spotify for their most dedicated fans. This so essentially you're going to be able to no longer have to go to Patreon or, you know, uh, things like OnlyFans. like you can actually yeah. just build your business directly inside of Spotify, which we've been thinking had to happen. I mean, it seems so obvious. All these all these platforms didn't really want to fully empower creators. Monetization on the platforms was very difficult, maybe except for YouTube. And the rise of Patreon, Substack, OnlyFans kind of forced their hand. So a big theme that you saw this entire week with all of these analyst days was how do we empower creators so that we can keep them on our platform. You saw it at Spotify with what you just showed. You saw it at Twitter um, with uh, super, what is it? Super follows. Yeah, well, yeah, I'll show it. Hold on. We, we can go there. Why don't we just jump right to it? That's a great point, Brandon. So um, the next slide is super follows. Right. Which, which basically it was this is only tweets with which Joe Albanese from Stir came up with, I don't know, sometime in the fall. And they they just copied it. Actually, I think Joe wanted them to copy it because he's obviously trying to get the creator community going as much as possible because he's building the back end for the creator community. Well, but And I think this tweet from Andrew Martinick uh, that says nobody will pay to read your tweets. I think it's just a misunderstanding. I mean, the this is I mean, look, I'm sure there'll be somebody who tries to create a private tweet stream of just, you know, tweets that you can read. But, but I 
this is more about providing content, I think. It's, well, it's distri- it's it's just a distribution mechanism for whatever you want to put in there for private fans, right? Correct. So, so you could put a video in there. People can click play. The only difference is it's in a scroll format. The interesting thing, though, is, is that you've got OnlyFans sort of on the not safe for work side trying to move into the safer work side, right, with like, you know, traditional artists. Patreon's trying to go public via a SPAC, is at least the speculation. Apple's launching this type of functionality. Spotify is launching this functionality. And you just saw Twitter's launching this functionality. So it just seems like it look, it's a great time to be a creator, but it's going to be interesting, like whether the, the dedic- how the dedicated platforms like a Patreon whether they get crimped in this process, is it a feature or is it a business? I think that's what we're going to learn over the course of the next, you know, call it 12 months. Yeah. And I, I think that the good news for Patreon and OnlyFans is it's the one thing they're dedicated to. They're completely no. purpose-driven, mission-driven, and they're going to iterate. This is, this is your clubhouse versus, this is yeah, your clubhouse I mean, versus I, space. This is, yeah. Un, for, I'm just kind of a student of free days things, I guess. And I've come to believe that you should focus on one thing. I don't know. We'll see. Um, let's uh, shift gears to Tim Wu, Walt. This is a tweet from uh, Nathan Lemer, who used Damn, to work this guy's for... angry. <laughs> he used to work for um, Commissioner, or excuse me, Chairman Pai, and he's got a great consultancy on his own. Um, or, or representative, um, he's he's tweeting about Tim Wu, um, who I guess deleted a bunch of old tweets, and this was an issue that came up, I think, with someone else that was getting a confirmation hearing. And, and there's there's certainly speculation that Tim Wu, um, if he's deleting tweets, probably means he's going to get nominated for a position. Now, whether that's I think Charlie Gasparino was speculating it could be the FCC, maybe it's the FTC. I, I would be very surprised if if he was put in at the at the FCC um you know as chairman or, or even as another commissioner so my guess is like if if he's doing anything it's 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 clearly the FTC but what, let's what just, was also oh, oh, sorry. no i was just going to say like as if deleting tweets means they didn't exist i mean everything is recorded i mean there's lots of companies that record every tweet ever made it's just sort of funny that like you can't make a tweet go away. I mean, once it's there, it's out in the public domain. And so it's just sort of funny, like what would be the reason? For, I don't even see the connection between the two things. I think it's probably just easy. It's, you know, you're right, Rich, for the technologically advanced, um, but for other people to just randomly pull up tweets that and to use them against you, it's just, it just makes it, it provides another hurdle for the dumb masses to, to try and cancel you. Um, so the other fascinating, was that wrong to say that? No, no, it, no, was awesome. it wasn't. It was at awesome. All. Oh, okay. That was Sorry. great how you brought it, it in. Also shows, it also shows bias, some opinions that may not be your opinions anymore. It's just, yep. it's better to wipe the slate. Okay, I got worried there for a second, which no, is ironic awesome. because I got worried no. about the cancel culture, which I was joking about. No, it, that's why we laughed. Because, <laughs> I know. You know. But the other fine, can you bring that up again? The other thing I yeah. have to point out because I okay, love to hold do on. this. Um, hold on. I know what you're going to point out. Hold on. And this is so that the guy Nathan is tweeting. Nathan is tweeting something from Fox News. Let's just point out a couple things. Like, look at the picture Fox News picked for that tweet to, to be on the Twitter card. And they describe Wu in the headline New York Times writer Tim Wu. I, I right. mean, New York, I mean, Tim Wu, I'm sure, is a contributor and writes his opinion pieces, or whatever, but like his his identifier is he's a what, a, an NYU or I don't even know, but like 
a professor. Like he, he's Columbia, professor. I believe Columbia professor. I mean, way to go, Rupert. Well done. Failing New York Times. <laughs> yeah, that would have been better. They should have put failing New York Times in front of there with the failing New York Times the writer. Picture you can find yeah. of the guy. I mean, give me a break. It's okay, like so, so transparent. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it's just it's complete bias. So let's talk. Um, Korea Society tweets out Netflix plans to spend 500 million on original movies and TV shows in South Korea this year, boosting investment in content that's been key to the streaming giant's success in one of the fastest growing markets. Yeah, Ted Sarandos, chief content, or I guess co-CEO. I always want to say chief content officer, but co-CEO Ted. Yeah, no, but but co-CEO sounds better. So, uh, and we should give him credit. But um, he actually was speaking at a press conference, and Lucas Shaw actually broke the news from that press conference that Ted said they're up to 3.8 million subscribers in South Korea, which is interesting because it's a market of over 20 million homes, and virtually every home, I think 98 percent plus of South Korea has high speed broadband. And so that means that Netflix is still, you know, 20%, less than 20% penetrated in South Korea, sort of just shows you they're entering that sweet spot of the S-curve, right? Where you spend a lot of money because you're starting to really feel it. Netflix has talked about on conference calls that they started to really see that momentum kick in. Japan seeing the same thing, Um, you know, like you're starting to see some of these big Asian markets for Netflix. Finally, that flywheel, India's not there yet for sure. But you're starting to see in some of the more um, developed markets, um, you're starting to really see traction on the Netflix side. And I think if you look at subscriber growth, what's going to be the real driver over 2021 and 2022 is going to be APAC really starting to kick in. And so I just thought it was encouraging to see that the spending is going because once you start spending, that means I think historically it means you're starting to really see the benefits to subscriber growth. Yeah, I think just to add to that. Once you start spending, it means that you have figured out what content resonates in that local market. And I think there's a real trial and error process to see what works. And once they think they have the formula down, that's when they spend. And once they spend and get local content scale, that's when you hit the sweet spot in the S-curve. So. Well, the other uh, interesting thing about this, Brandon, I think is 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 now that they have this um, reason or greater reason to to invest in content that resonates maybe in in Korea. Um, what's the over under when we have our Korean version of Lupin, which, which is like you've got it's just making good content that resonates on a global basis, and it just kind of I don't know if this qualifies as the flywheel. It seems like a flywheel type item oh, to we, me, Brandon. We've already we've already seen that. Um, Korean content can resonate in America. Sure. Parasite won Best Picture. Right. Remember? It feels like a long time ago, even though it was. Yes, you remember. But but look, but but, but look, you you are 100% right. And I think what everyone on Hulu, though, (laughs) what what everyone what everyone misses is that this is really hard to scale up, like spending half a billion dollars. There is no I mean, Discovery Plus you know, for Paramount Plus, like the amount of investment that is being made in international content at Netflix is just enormous versus what everyone else is getting each local market. Right. And now we talked about this on last week's podcast. Disney is realizing that that's a necessity, even though they denied it early on. And you see them starting to selectively pick markets and figure out what resonates and scale. 
Boom. But also, in, in addition, just to the broad market with Lupin and the and the whoever won that award you're talking about, there's obviously a Korean American uh, market that that this content clearly would would appeal sure. to. That again, you wouldn't necessarily have invested in a you know a segment of a of a market, but it's actually going to maybe unleash even better subscriber yeah. numbers in the U.S. for those for those. Uh, I mean, I'm stating the obvious, but like, no, it's totally no, true. This is, no, this is part of size is, well, mattering. So and, and remember. Creating and content it's, in it's, Korea, it's cheaper. You're gonna say, yes, yep, right? much cheaper. Not even in the ballpark. And then you get global scale on it and can leverage it globally. If we know the Netflix playbook. Okay, <laughs> shifting awesome gears. Play. Shifting gears, Brandon. Why don't you read both of these? Oh, okay. This is from Daniel Wallach at Wallach Legal. Breaking news: Texas Representative Dan Huberty has filed a bill that would place the question of legalized sports betting on the November 2021 statewide ballot. If approved, the operators would be the Texas pro sports franchises. And then another one um, from Daniel Wallach at Wallach Legal. Same the new person. Sports- <laughs> Same person. Th- thanks for telling us twice what his name is. That was awesome. Okay, this is just saying they're doing it in Florida also. we can. You don't need to read this Boom. whole thing. Okay, thank God. So <laughs> Couldn't I have just come on not read, read the tweets and said, Texas and Florida are Rich likes to have to you read the longest tweet. I know. Like, I, yeah, have you noticed he, that? <laughs> because he doesn't want to read them. I think he just wants to exhaust me, so I shut the fuck up the rest of the podcast. <laughs> Uh, what can possibly go wrong with gambling just spreading everywhere, Rich? <laughs> um, look, Sinners. It, it, I, I think what's what's clear is that there's clear momentum. It's just everywhere you look. And I look, maybe not all of this stuff actually happens at the you know pace, but state by state, it just it feels like the momentum is starting to kick in. And I forget which of those. I think it was I think it was Florida, but one of them was a bipartisan bill. Like you're just. It really dominoes are falling. States need revenue, want revenue. Same thing with legalized marijuana. And now remember becoming a country of sinners. What can I say? I just got to wonder, Brandon, you point that out, but it's true. Like, I don't, you know, when dominoes fall on issues like this, sometimes they they hit a large brick wall. Um, I don't know. You can't predict how or why that's going to happen. I'm certainly not arguing that it should happen, but like, you know, these are still, somewhat controversial topics for for many people. And what people need to remember is that the big win financially for DraftKings, FanDuel, and everybody else is actually not sports betting. It's really iGaming, you know, iGambling, iCasino, whatever you want to call it. That is still not being legalized. Right, but again, that's like a dominoes thing. I I, I know. In each individual state, you drop the, the sports betting domino, see kind of what the revenue is, then someone presents the bill for iCasino and it's like, wow, you know how much more revenue we could get from that? Let's hit it. And then over the next 10 years, it'll kind of all play out. And that's one of the reasons um, that you've seen all the kind of sports betting books go crazy this year. I'm sure that's why Fubo is going to be really great too. So Uh, sorry, I just had to do that. What? Never mind. Never mind. Never mind. I just I was irritated by someone. Oh, uh, Walt, why don't you go? Did you just get a random death threat in the middle of our podcast? Can we move to Peter Adderton? <laughs> Let's move to Peter Adderton and that cheerier subject. All right. So uh, uh, Peter Adderton, you know, who created Boost Mobile, which is now in the hands of Dish, um, talked about something 
um, well, let's, I'm just going to read it. He's tweeting at the DOJ and the FCC. They this is a long sp- one. You're going to get tired, but okay. They <laughs> I probably will. There's so many ads in here. That's the harder part. <laughs> he's, so he's t- Peter's tweeting at the DOJ and the FCC, and he does talk to those people. Um, he said they have to step in um, these migrant in, in meaning. Well, let me back up. On the don't dish, read the tweet. <laughs> in the, yeah, I may not. In, on the dish earnings call, I asked Ergen <laughs> about boost, right? And like out of the blue, Charlie comes in with like a oh, and those fuckers at T-Mobile, you know, are going to kick everyone off the CDMA network a year earlier than we expected. And this is and so I did a little digging on here. I talked to some some um, you know some master dealers and what have you, and it, like there there is probably a third of the, of the customers they're going to have to get their phones replaced. There's another third that are going to have to get a software update. But look, Boost customers, they come in every month. The majority of Boost customers, I believe, are paying in cash. So they're coming into stores every, every month anyway. So you can flash those into new things. But a third of the customers um, are going to have to um, you know, get upgraded phones at $100, $150 um, dollars think, times two and a half million phones, right? But do you think Charlie like regrets buying this asset in the first place? Like, is this not something he's he unhappy does. about? I think on the call, he was also trying to signal to help from the regulators. Um, I don't think he's going to get that help. I think the DOJ is basically going to say, listen, Charlie, read your fucking contract. Like, you should have protected yourself in this contract. We're not here to protect you um, from your mistakes. So this could this could be a challenge for him. Um, there's another there's another solution um, that's out there. If these are CDMA customers, look, Verizon is looking for revenue. What they should do is probably knock on Verizon's door and say, like, "Hey, why don't you take um, take these customers?" And and it's you know, I guess you could argue they're helping Charlie, but it's such a minimal thing to the overall plan that Charlie's trying to accomplish with five G, and it would be a nice kind of kick. Um, at T-Mobile, if they took those customers away, where T-Mobile was basically trying to fuck with with Ergen um, in this in this asset that they they just sold them. Look, even if they have to upgrade these phones, Dish still got a really good price for Boost. I mean, you know that price they had to pay for those customers was a good price, and 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 they're putting out good EBITDA. But it's it's uh, it'll be an interesting drama if if Verizon came in. That would be really high drama in our boring nerdy telecom world. And when do we think we start to hear about this? Like when when does this play out? Could be any day. Could any day. Weeks. Okay. Like, I don't, you know, this is this is an issue in the near term um, that needs to be addressed. So theater reopenings. This is sort of unexpected, I guess, Brandon. New yeah, York this, City to open theaters on March 5th. Yeah, I this remi- this reminds me of Fubo. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that so was funny. amazing. Uh, only because AMC stock is trading at a valuation that Here doesn't make any sense, e- e- even <laughs> on theater there, reopening. <laughs> yeah, no, 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 it's okay. Well, you know I what mean, it reminds me of, Brandon, is Cogent, because they're also all fired up and hoping people come back to their office. They had a horrible quarter in terms of people like disconnecting, I guess, or not Enterprise. Growing. Yeah. Enterprise, right? So, it, it, look, it, it's to, it gets to this question. We haven't really talked a lot about COVID, I think, but but the bottom line is the numbers look fucking reopening, great. yeah. And opening theaters, I think New York's going to thirty percent capacity. Our yeah. the question is like, is has this changed concerts? Behavior? Right? Has it changed behavior forever? I think people rush back to concerts. Oh yeah, the UK. So the UK um, gave a I think June twenty first like full capacity reopening 
Um, for out- outdoor or indoor? For, for concerts, widely for concerts in the UK. Oh, so why the fuck aren't they letting people in the EPL games, which are still fanless they, there? They will. This starts June 21st. Oh, 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 oh June. Yeah. Okay. I got to get and I gotta schedule they, a trip. They then. put some um, festivals on sale, like 70,000, 100,000 gotcha. people festivals sold out pretty instantaneously. The demand's going to be there. People want to rage. I think people are going to want to also go get back to these EPL and the NFL games. Rich, are they, are they going to want to go back to theaters? Do you think, do you think where has, where has someone's mindset changed in terms of what they want to rush back to or not? I think the question is going to be, you know, there's so much more content available in the home. I think they're going to come back to theaters. I mean, I think theaters, I mean, you know, again, when you can go see, um, Black Widow in a theater. Do I think people are going to go? Absolutely. Do I think they're going to go May 20th or whatever, May th- whatever the date Time. is for Black Window? Time. That's the key thing. That's exactly, not to flip on you here, but like in talking about the Depend- enterprise, I mean, which is when do vaxxed, people, hold on, why when, not? when do people come back to the office? Like, like yeah, we know they're going to come back, but the question is like, how soon, right? right. And, and to, what, to what degree? And everything is different. Like, I want to get into a packed concert or a sporting event. Like I've, but you don't want to sit with us in a WeWork. Correct. Oh, no. exactly. exactly. I think offices it, are it's, different it's a, than entertainment. It's a chance to kind of pick and choose your spots. Hundred percent true. Yep. So, but other people don't believe that, right? I don't. Well, I shouldn't say hundred percent true. That is a view that I agree with, <laughs> Brandon. But I think other people think that offices are going to be the same as concerts or sporting events or theaters. Like, and I think each segment of return yep. is going to have a different outcome well and, and I, just I just to go back that. to what and we talked about way, earlier in offices the- it, just just want to say did you guys see the coinbase cover yesterday no for, for their filing to go public it didn't have an address it just said we are a, we're everywhere we're a complete um we're, yeah. we're completely remote. We have I no mean, address. Rich, Twitter did you t- pick up our mail, by the way? You were supposed to pick up our mail this week, or the, otherwise they're going to throw it out. I, I we to, worked I, that we that we departed. I'm you sure didn't do it, did the, you? I'm sure it's just the Amex bill because I, I never changed the address on my corporate Amex. And every single envelope there is probably that. <laughs> I am hopefully doing it today, Walter. That is the goal to do it today. So just oh, so you know. You, you realize they're going to throw that mail I, out unless I, I, we come back. That They weren't happy about us leaving. Um, I understand it will hopefully get done. I promise. Um, let's, let's go on to something that is bonkers. Um, as we move towards the end of this podcast, this Brandon to me is crazy. I'm going to read it. You react to it. Hang on Ryan, one second. I just wanted to check. Got a call coming up. No, I want to check my coin base. Oh my God. Stop. <laughs> You're going to 46, eight, four. Okay. Could, could you, could you focus Brian Windhorst? says, since this story came out seven days ago, and it's a story about NBA Top Shots. So in the last seven days, Top Shot has done 111 million in transactions and counting. In the last 24 hours, it's 47 million. Owners have increased by 50%. Number of NBA players getting into it, never quite seen anything like it. And frankly, it's hard to comprehend. And the the, the original tweet is, over the last few months, 50,000 users have poured $70 million into buying video clips that are available for free elsewhere. But collectors say this is the future of sports cards and the NBA and its players are in on the action. This is top shot. You know what I call this? I mean, first of all, I think there is a future for NFTs. I want to be very clear about that. I think that NBA top shots 
are NFTs that are actually accessible. Can you define NFT, please? Non-fungible token. It's basically a image, I will call it, or a video that's on the blockchain. So you, their authenticity of it is guaranteed. You know who, who owns it um, and who has owned it in the past. Yeah. So it can't be replicated, essentially. So you compare it to a highlight, which anyone could play. You don't own that actual highlight. Um, but I think this is this is just a very accessible form of NFTs. A lot of people are talking about it, but there's like, how do I buy one? What art am I going to buy? Well, this is kind of made easy for you. But this also goes into the kind of speculation uh, in the crypto market that's going on right now. Um, not commenting on Bitcoin because clearly institutions are driving Bitcoin up. Um, but there's asset values have continued to rise in COVID. People have needed places to put money. There's been crypto craze. Retail investors are interested in stock markets. And, and you know, I, we really should get Gary V back on Light Shed Live because he's been really vocal on this whole topic. I mean, he's a huge same, guy. Same with Cuban. Yep. Maybe we get Cuban and maybe Gary do, V together. Maybe we do on, both. You do follow this on, on Twitter last or, night. Hershorn was looking for, he wanted to do his first spaces and he, he said, give me an idea. So I tweeted at him, audio versus video. He's like, great, let's get Rich and Brandon. Who else should we get? And I'm like, all right, who are the masters of, of social Dapper. platforms? Ledger oh, and fucking Gary V. Well, I just got introduced like, right. to the the founder of Dapper. So we're we're going to get Dappler and, and on Light Shed Life for sure. He's on Clubhouse, I feel like, every night. Preaching what? NFT. Who is the head of Dappler, the guy who created oh, the crypto Rohan, kitties? What is top, his name? I think. Rohan. We're going to get him on Light Shed Live. Don't worry. He's going to definitely, we're going to definitely make that happen. Um, let's do our final tweet of the week, uh, Brandon. This is definitely for you. No, I think this is for all of us. Yeah. We're, we're all, everyone, all three of us are now Mets fans. Steve Cohen tweeted, and he's, he's back, back on Twitter saying, I'm heading down to spring training this weekend again. You can feel the positive vibe amongst the players. LGM, which is Let's Go Mets. Um, yeah. I would put an LFGM on there as well. But where can, can we get a, a quick price check on a uh, on uh, GameStop and Fubo as we're as we're ending this week? I don't know. Hold on. Well, I don't just give, give me GameStop because that, that's the one we, they, they were holding the line at four hundred. One twenty three oh six for games. Hold the line. Up another thirteen percent. Thirteen percent. One hundred twenty relative to guaranteed to have the time of your life. Right, you let's close this out with some Mets songs. Uh, spring training this weekend, right? It starts. Baseball starts. It's still green as shit. Runs over the wall. Someone's going to have to tell me who these Mets players are at some point. Okay. Have a great weekend, everyone. Hold the line. Hold the line. Hold the line.